0: So message today about the final judgment, the notion of judgment in our world is very unpopular and offensive, completely offensive. Uh, the dominant worldview around us is relativism, so you everybody figures out for themselves their own path and morality and spirituality, their own meaning of life. So for anyone to claim that something is ultimately right or wrong is seen as being judgmental And very offensive. So, ultimate final judgment is ultimately and finally offensive. So, here we go. Um, Instead of that, many people would be prone to say, I believe in a God of love, not a God of judgment. That's a much more popular way to think about it. I don't know if you've heard that one. Um, I want to think about the concept I believe in a God of love not judgment, because it sounds so nice, and it sounds so good, Uh, and I think any one of us could fall or be prone to fall into that way of thinking, and this text is a great place to consider those things. It's also a great place to end our sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew over these a number of months that we've been looking at these things, sort of a uh, final end of things here. And we've, we're taking these, we've taken these final three weeks to focus on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we've been considering, is this uh, second coming just, is this just kind of something that some Christians are really into, sort of advanced Christians, but you know, otherwise we could ignore it. And the answer is no, this is actually a central core belief of our faith, that we live all of today in light of what is to come in what God will do and what will be brought to completion at Christ's um, Christ's return. So um, I hope you've connected with that and found that also to be true as we've journeyed through this. But today I want to look at this final judgment here, the scene of the final judgment, uh, the basis of the final judgment, and finally the result of the final judgment. Let's pray. Father, this has been... um, as we've journeyed through your word, or through this part of it, um, we've, you've been feeding us and we just humbly ask again that you continue to feed us by your word, that you would teach us in this time, that you would show us and remove from us anything that needs to be removed and that you would build into us that which you desire to build. We thank you that you are gracious and that you are loving and that you do teach us, help us to receive it in this time in Christ's name I pray amen so let's start with the scene of this final judgment uh, verse 31 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats what a scene and now here, at least for these three weeks we've been looking at it, we have all the pieces. Um, Christ will return, the, the, the day and the time unknown, we talked about that last week. Uh, there may be signs that characterize the age or the, the time of this, but um, we looked at that two weeks ago. The dead will be raised, that's not necessarily in, in view specifically here, but uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when Christ returns there will be this this resurrection of the dead. So all people, all who have lived before and all who are alive at that time will be gathered together. All the, and here are the images. All the nations, all the people before Christ. Uh, and there will be a final judgment. Christ came quietly, humbly, born in a manger as a, as a baby came to, to serve and to bring grace and salvation to the world. And he's coming again to finish all of his kingdom work in this final judgment. And and here it is. This is the scene set for us. So let's go back to that statement. I believe in a God of love, not a God of judgment. When someone goes there, I usually, and you've heard me say this before, I usually say, you actually want a God of judgment because if you want a God of love, then you need wrath and judgment. If you love something intensely, wrath is right there with it. For example... I love my children intensely. If something were to harm them or to come against them, my wrath would be against that thing. And we we want to know that there are consequences for evils in this world and that there is God's judgment. It's not just chaos and disorder. It's not just injustice forever, but that God will make it all right. And most reasonable people will give you that. They'll say, okay, you know, some level of judgment, okay. But let's back this up a little bit. The, the person who says, I believe in a God of love, not a God of judgment. Where did you get the idea that God is a God of love? Where you, would where'd you get that? Where would that come from? Because you didn't learn that from nature. Because you look at nature, that's uh, survival of the fittest. That's strong, uh, dominating the weak, for whatever reason. You, that doesn't look like God of love. Uh, you can look at human history. Most of human history is... Uh, Nation warring against nation. It's about dominance and imperialism. It even includes ethnocentrism and things like racism. And The exception to the rule is kindness and compassion. But you look at human history and you don't see this God of love idea. You look at religion. There's religions like Buddhism that teach kindness and serving others and selflessness. But this idea of a God of love, a personal God... Of love is not present there. Even uh, Muslims, they might say that God is a God of love in the sense that God is merciful, um, in in a sense that um, God is kind. But a Christian sees the the relationship of love between us and God as one of a of a. Marriage union, it's, in, it's deep intimacy, like a husband and a wife. That's how we view God in a, in a Muslim. And you can ask our friends later if, if this is, resonates, but that would be offensive. You wouldn't say that a human being would be in a personal kind of love relationship with the God of the universe. That lowers God way too far. That is totally offensive and unacceptable. So where did you get this great idea that you want this God of love? You got this idea from the Bible, you, it's a Christian idea that, we, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that we, will, we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God gave his very life for us to be reconciled, that we can know him, that we can know his voice as a guiding shepherd, as a loving heavenly father. This is a very biblical and Christian idea. And whoever is coming to you with this idea, that's where they got it. Whether they know it or not, it's coming to them through a tradition that is very much... Centered in Jesus. Um, But here's the news that I give to that person. That same God of love that you didn't invent, that you learned from the Bible, also depicts him as a righteous judge. And here's the scene of judgment. Secondly, the basis of this judgment. Verse 35. For I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. And you looked after me, I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now people hear this and they say, okay, that's it. At the end of time I will be judged by how well I cared for the poor and the sick and the hungry. Um, That is, people believe that God will accept them based on the amount of these good works that they have done. Um, It's just kindness to all in need. It's a great humanitarian ethic. That is not what's going on here. That is not what this says. We do not believe that is how we are saved by God. We are not saved by these good works. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. He accomplished our salvation on the cross by dying for us, for dying for our sins. That is how we are saved. So these good works here, these good things that were done are not the cause of the destiny of these sheep, but they are evidence of who is a sheep and who is a goat. The judgment here is still all about our relationship to Jesus. In verse 40, you see this. The king replies, "Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me." So that these acts of kindness, the feeding, the visiting, uh, the, the caring for, the giving clothes to, was done to the brothers and sisters of Jesus. It was done to Jesus' family. It's not just everyone who's, um, not everybody on earth who is poor or hungry. Now, that's not to diminish the, that type of ethic where we are to bring uh, food and, and care to all in need. But here, in this context... It's specifically the brothers and sisters of Jesus. This is his family. This is the other Christians. Remember, Jesus has already said, back in chapter 10, he said, He who receives you receives me. It's about how Christ's people are received. And the the support to them that was given indicates a connection to Jesus. That is, love for Jesus and love for his people go hand in hand. The disciples pass the test, not because they're trying to pass the test. But because they love Jesus' brothers and sisters, because they love Jesus. And then the goats, they fail the test because they don't care for Jesus' brothers and sisters. They don't care for Jesus. And we know, because both groups are surprised here. Um, the sheep are surprised. It tells us they didn 't do the good works so that they would be accepted at the end of time. They said what well, we didn 't even realize we were doing. It. When did we do this? The surprise of the goats also, when did, we, when did we not do this? When did we see you hungry or needing clothes or thirsty? When we, because we would have helped you. Of course. And that says a lot about the goats. I think sometimes we want to help people because it makes us look good or because they might be able to help us in the future or we get public recognition or somehow we do something wonderful. That's just a form of selfishness. That is not what Jesus is. That's not the basis of the judgment here. It's about a connection to him that's demonstrated through an uncalculating and not even noticing love of his people. Love of Jesus and love of his people, hand in hand. Our church's purpose statement begins with the words, we, uh, the purpose of Free Christian Church is to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and a community of Christian love, hand in hand. Once you're invited to this relationship with Jesus, you are, by definition, part of this family, and we are now connected to one another. And we live out those Relationships to one another in a number of different ways. Expressions that happen behind the scenes, expressions that happen through ministry involvement, through small groups. Our parish system, I don't know if you're familiar with our parish system. So if you have, if we have your address, we've assigned you to a parish. You didn't ask to do that, we just did it. Um, and so we have a number of geographic parishes because our church, we you know there's a number of communities that are represented by this family here and, and those gathered online. And when there's a need, if somebody needs food, we go first to that parish and say, who here can help provide food in this situation? Or somebody is sick or in the hospital, who can visit or send a card? It happens in those geographic areas. Now, those aren't there's not walls between them. We, you could feed anybody across the lines and that sort of thing. But that's just a way that we've tried to organize ourselves to live this out together. So when you, when you get emails from a parish leader or a phone call, that's what that is. It's somebody who lives somewhat in your region geographically uh, as we seek to live this out. So, here's the, so we have the scene of the final judgment. We have the basis of the final judgment. And finally, the result of the final judgment. Verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Can we... T- Can we talk about hell for a minute, since since we're there? Because people can be okay with God of judgment. Okay, I'm okay with God of judgment the way you've defined it, but hell is a little too far. Because my God of love, which you learn from the Bible, uh, that seems a little too far. This is how I'd respond to that. I would say, the Bible's clear. God wants everyone to know him and to love him. But that God does not force his way into your life. That people choose to reject God. God is love, yes. But God allows people to reject his love or to den- deny his love. And remain separated from him. So I say, therefore, hell is just the natural trajectory of a life apart from God that denies His love that denies Him that rejects Him that's hell is just that's just the trajectory, and some would say, well, that's kind of you know to believe in that kind of eternal punishment, that's that that's judgmental for sure that's uh, arrogant thinking that you know and it's even hateful or narrow minded, and I'd say, no, we just disagree. You, you, I believe in hell. You don't. We're both equally narrow-minded in that sense. Um, let me describe it like this. True story. I was hiking Mount Washington with uh, a number of years ago with some buddies, old camp buddies, and we got. It was a terrible day. The weather was awful. We get up over Lion's Head, and it was raining sideways, and it was coming in hard, and it was so cold the rain was freezing. It was hitting us on one side and just freezing. And we had to decide, are we going to make our final ascent to the summit or we just go back to, uh, to the shelter? And the group was split. One guy said, this is terrible, but we're going to make it. Let's, we'll finish to the summit. We can, there's a restaurant up there. We can get a bowl of chowder and hike back down. The other guy said, you don't mess with Mount Washington. If we keep hiking, you're going to die. And they, they, we broke into two camps. And actually, we split the group. Half the group went back, and the other half the group went to summit. In, in the one view, based on this person's personal experience and their sincerely held belief, they felt that we could safely get to the summit and take photos and cup of chowder. This other person sincerely held beliefs based on their experience and all that they know said, you're going to die. The consequences from this person, if you go back to the shelter, the consequence is you miss the chowder and the photos. The consequence for trying to summit is death. There's a big difference in the consequence of action. I did hike to the summit, we made it, it was fine, it was terrible. No, we probably shouldn't have. I think the, the death group was, was close to being correct. But as a Christian, As somebody who follows Jesus Christ, this is is how I see this. If I talk to an atheist, I could probably find some stuff we agree on. I could say, do you believe child abuse is wrong? And the atheist would probably say, yeah, that's wrong. And I said, it has terrible consequences. Yes. Okay, we agree. Random murder, do you think that is wrong and has terrible consequences? Yes. Yes. Random murder is wrong, terrible consequences. Okay, so on certain things, me, Christian, you, atheist, we agree. As a Christian, though, I don't believe that the soul dies and that the consequences of wrongdoing carry on into eternity. You don't believe in an afterlife, so you don't believe that it carries on into eternity. How does that make me narrow-minded? We just simply disagree on how long these consequences go. And that's it. I believe that the consequences of sin are more severe, perhaps, than you. So here, the result of the final judgment is eternal punishment or eternal life. So what do we do? Again, from last week, we're ready. We live lives that are ready. We don't know when this, how many days we have, and we just live light in light of the fact That Christ, is his kingdom is known and experienced and growing today, but will be known in its fullness. And active, what does readiness look like? Readiness looks like serving and loving and even small acts of kindness. I mean, these are the simplest things that anyone could do to feed someone, to encourage someone who needs a visit, uh, to, to just give a drink to someone who's thirsty. The simplest acts of love. The answer, if, that's, if your heart isn't there, isn't to just try harder, just do more, feed more people, get out there. Your step is to turn to Christ and say, I want to know you and love you. And I need your forgiveness. I need you to change my heart so that I love you. So the, and then as that happens, you will love Christ's people because you'll be connected by his spirit to them. But the other thing this week as you go is to think about how to pray. Lord, how do you want me to pray? Or, Lord, who do you... Show me today who I'm to serve and love. Show me who is that person in need, who needs the encouragement, who needs the visit, who needs the food. Lord, show it to me that I might respond to your heart as I go. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again. Um, we, We do pray that you just open our eyes to see your people and who's in need, Lord. And then as we love and serve one another in that way, may we just take it beyond to those who don't know you, who are very far from you, Lord. We bring that same heart of love and care and concern to everybody in our world, Lord. We thank you that you loved us and you served us, um, giving not just um, just a, a small gift, but giving your very life for us. We praise you for that. May that motivate us to love one another excellently. and May it be a light to your world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.